Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Daisy is Insatiable. I'm Daisy Buchanan, the author of Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls. And together we're going to be exploring love, lust, appetite, identity and everything that makes sex thrilling, fascinating and bewildering. My guest this week is the writer Holly Bourne. If you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, you might remember that our very first guest, Dolly Alderton, mentioned Holly and her work, and that Holly has vowed to make sure that in her books, clitoral orgasms are given as much or even greater prominence as vaginal ones. I have been a really big fan of Holly's work for a while, and I adored her most recent novel, Pretending, which is about, among other things, being a person in the world who is working out who you are sexually in the aftermath of abuse and trauma. Holly is generous, frank, thoughtful and extremely well-informed. She has worked extensively with girls and women who've experienced abuse. She is able to speak about a real range of experiences and lives. Once again, this is a conversation where you might want to listen with extra care. We do discuss sexual violence in some detail. While I believe Holly's words and observations are wise, nourishing and comforting, please do look after yourself and maybe avoid this one if you think it might be painful or difficult to hear. So to get straight into things, I really wanted to talk to you because you came up on the first podcast that I recorded uh, with Dolly Alderton and Dolly was talking about how much she admires you and your policy in your books of not having women experiencing non-clitoral orgasms and to be much more realistic in terms of sex than you know the Hollywood at the moment of penetration the curtains below and everyone moans when did you come to that decision did you feel that from the moment you started writing orgasms or did you come to it after sorry that's a horrible pun um <laughs> reading other literature that didn't didn't deliver oh dear. it was I actually listened to that podcast when I was cooking and then suddenly I was like hang on I'm on this <laughs> <laughs> very surreal moment um yeah it's been a strange hill to decide to die on um but I think it's just, so I spent um, five years working for a youth charity um, and I was trained as a sex and relationship advisor. And that job was transformative in so many ways. Um, and 
the biggest privilege I think that came with that job is young people um, and a lot of young women because they had this anonymous place to ask questions about sex would routinely ask what's wrong with me why can't I orgasm you know sex hurts everyone else can because they had that space where they felt they wouldn't be judged or they wouldn't be frigid or bad at sex and they didn't even want their friends to know that this was a problem for them and of course the, another privilege of that was seeing how many of these stories came in and you're just like oh if I could only tell you how many people have already asked me this question this week you would realize just there's nothing wrong with you there's something wider going on in society that makes you think that there's something wrong with you that you can't reach you know have sexual pleasure through orgasm uh with a boy um when he has sex with you in this way that we've been told sex is yeah so it just yeah it just kind of got to the point where i was like this is such an issue there's so little being told about the 80 percent of cis het women who can't orgasm like it's you know 80 percent can't they need so is that eight zero eight eighty percent um <laughs> and so but about a hundred percent of the stories of sex that we see on film and in tv or he sometimes even read about are the the, the, mi- the minority um and so i was just like i was just gonna make this very very small gesture of trying to tip that balance and, and start having this conversation um because the amount of shame that girls have thinking there's literally something wrong with them when actually they're statistically in the majority so it was just that that kind of started me on this kind of quest and then the sort of more I've talked about it the more response I've had and the more I've kind of feel like it is a conversation to continue having even though it's, it's a tricky conversation to have I think talking about sexuality in general is always quite difficult and especially talking about female sexuality in general is quite tricky and can you have to be so careful um but the response I have is always private, which makes me realise how much more we still need to be having these conversations because nobody has come up to me publicly online and be like, thank God that you said that. Thank God you talked about, you know, the clip test. It's all been in DMs. People have been like, I'm so glad you're telling me this message. I'm so glad you're doing this. And nobody will say that to publicly and that to me is like well we still need to be having this conversation then if people are still too ashamed to admit that they're in the you know 80 percent of women who need their clit to be touched (laughs) to experience pleasure as you say it's really fascinating that people are telling you in private and that we do live in this world where sex is everywhere but sexual realness isn't there's so much to unpack about female sexuality and I think I kind of want to caveat anything before I say which is sort of saying I never if I'm talking it's always about trends and it's never about an individual woman's sexual fingerprint because each of one's so different and I think one of the problems with feminism is we see it through such like an individualistic lens and this one person represents this thing and I'm really interested in unpicking wider trends um, that I think might be unhelpful and unhealthy to women and maybe setting them back and maybe getting them to ask questions about themselves so they they can empower them to maybe what you know understand what they're doing why they're making decisions that they can and so it's from a more kind of 
empowered, knowledgeable place. And so we are with sex and orgasms and stuff is and and in pretending in particular that was about you know the girl april who was the survivor of, of sexual violence um from an ex-boyfriend and we know that one in four women you know are victims of rape and serious sexual assault in this country and how does that impact their sex lives and considering how huge that statistic is how we never we don't see that much and just so that was just one part of the story that I wanted to explore but as I said there's so much going on with with women and sex to unpick alongside all of that like um desire and how that's linked to desirability and um what are women getting out of sex if they're not getting an orgasm and and why are they having it compared to why men are having it and it's just I think it's just really important to just tell as many different stories, as you said, as possible, because not one character's journey is going to resonate with all women. So we just need more stories. And I think the problem is, is so many of the stories that we see are women who are very sexually confident, who are able to orgasm without much trouble. Um, And that is great. Like, that's not a problem like that is some women's experience but it's so not so many others and so it's just trying to just tell as many stories as possible and try and ask questions about ourselves and our sexuality our desire how that's linked into our desirability and just sort of as I said just kind of give more space to the wider framework and culture and society that we live in and the impact that has on our sex lives um and yeah, fiction's a great place to do that. <laughs> Definitely. Going back to what you, you, we were talking about in terms of the number of you know women who have experienced and survived um, you know rape and assault and sexual violence, how they might go on to have a happy sex life still, because that's something that I have done, and I'm not entirely sure I know how I did it. And, you know, and how much kind of compartmentalising I had to do, how much of that was me almost playing down what had happened. It took years and years for me to really stand back and say this awful thing happened. And now, you know, with distance and perspective, I can sort of see just how awful it was. But equally, I feel safe and that I've changed enough. But there was so much sort of going on at the time. And I you know my very entirely personal experience was to just keep having sex partly to reclaim what I thought I'd lost and partly as a way of kind you know tricking my own memory well first I'm so sorry that you went through that (laughs) and you've had to go on that journey and 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 it's so sadly a journey so many women have, have had to go on and since writing pretending I have had so many messages from readers who've been like, I read your book and it's made me realise this thing happened to me that I've not thought about. Um, You know, you kind of feel sorry. I feel like going, I'm so sorry my book made you realise this. But then they're like, no, 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 I did already know it. Um, And it's it's weird because when we talk about one in four, I I will always argue that number is much higher than one in four. I think there's one in four women in a country who know they've been raped and a much higher percentage of women who don't. And as you said, it can take years, decades um, to even do that. And I think the process of accepting it can create such an unleashing um, that it's almost better to not accept it. 
Mm. There's also no right or wrong way to respond to that happening to you. When I was a sex and relationship advisor, vast majority of my job was dealing with victims of sexual violence and you just and you know, I would you know talk to rape crisis a lot and make sure I was trained as I could and there was no everyone responded it to in such a different way and there were some who did just push it aside that's not relevant there were some who found that they were a lot more sexually aggressive and more sexually adventurous as a result um and in the case in April's case and pretending it's someone who it made them really scared of, of sex and there's no right or wrong way you know the only wrong thing that happened is that person did that to you and that wasn't your fault like that's the only wrong and then everything else how you behave as as a victim of survivor is you're just doing your best um and so yeah with april story i just wanted to tell that story but as i said we need these more stories to explore all the different ways in which women's sex lives are entwined with, with sexual violence so often and, and how we try and find love, find safety, find pleasure, find love, find connection. That it's so weird. Because I, I listened to that podcast with you and Dolly when I was cutting my onions going, oh, hang on, I've, I've come up. This is strange. But I found it so, like, I found what Dolly said about when she realised she had that power of when you realise a guy wants to sleep with you. You know, and that privacy, you know, the things that you see about someone when you have sex with them. And, and like that rang really true. But then someone of me who works with women's aid, that talks to victims a lot of my day <laughs> in my work, is that, that that huge intertwining mess of power and powerlessness. And you can sometimes feel never more powerful as a woman than when there's a man who really wants you and you know it. And it feels amazing and you're desired and you're just like, you're just, you know, you're kind of strutting and, and you can give them this thing and they want you and they hunger for you. And, and that, that can be so empowering. And yet you don't have any power so often. And men do just take and, and control and coerce. And, and I just find it's just, I'm not, feel, I feel like I'm not saying anything so sickening because it's just such an entwined, complicated thing and we've not even talked about the impact of porn and we've not even yeah. talked about you know all these other things and so it's um so I just find women's sexuality and a, how they navigate desire and sex and their bodies in this like mess that is patriarchy and violence just so interesting and there's just so many stories to tell because we're all just trying our best to get off <laughs> and have pleasure um under quite strange circumstances. True, because I've always thought that we know the patriarchy, bad news for, for everyone. And I think that in terms of the way, you know, that, that power dynamic and it's the culture we're in, I think we're still so far, got, we're like, oh, you know, it's just, it's the bad men doing bad things. Like, no, that was sort of, it's, explicitly and tacitly permitted and encouraged I think we're, we are all told men and women are told this is what men want and what men want is important and it's this really and I remember really struggling with this, with this as a teenager and sort of learning about you know the male gaze and be like but having grown up feeling entirely undesirable and I know that experience is far from unique and I know you know, lots of, you know, men and women are, are bullied and made to feel sort of chronically 
insecure and anxious about sort of the way they look and the way they are or whether whether or not they're appealing. But I definitely remember part of that being fancied, having been growing up with this conviction that was utterly, utterly undesirable and no one would ever want me. That power, and I'm sure that's probably when the power is so potent. Um, but if things change, and I don't know how things would ever change, it's, re- it's a really evil, clever trick that we're all led to believe being wanted is important and no one will want you. And then when someone does want you, if we were all raised with a decent amount of self-esteem and that was taken seriously and that was important and our worth wasn't tied to other people bringing it to us and this like, you will wait for people to validate you and you won't have enough of it and you'll feel like not enough. And then as soon as someone gives you that off you go like I you know I see it in myself I see it in other people I completely understand it I've been reading this amazing book um in uh, in research for a, a novel I'm writing at the moment called Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein yeah, yeah, it is. yeah. and it's just it is really fascinating actually because um she's just this it's just incredible amount of qualitative research and in the interviews that she's done with young girls and got them to talk about their sex lives and just it's just amazing um and it's all to do with self-objectification and how uh, girls self-objectify and you know kind of maybe buy into the male gaze and 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 feel like they're liberated with it and that is actually not what she's found through her research is that doesn't mean you're having good sex (laughs) and she's like actually we've kind of got this huge disconnect between women being sort of societally groomed to want to be chosen sexually and to want to be hot and not only hot but to be the hottest and that is what we've kind of been told to desire but actually she's found that actually the more you self-objectify the lower your your sexual satisfaction usually is and learning how to be sexually desirable is not the same as desire is not about exploring your bodies um and I, and it's all t- she says that we uh, i've got this great quote here that girls learn as sexual le- taught to be sexual learners rather than sexual yearners oh i like that and well, i don't like that it's very sad and it, but yeah well it's all to do with how girls how she says in the book how girls get sexual satisfaction i'm using air quotes here um from being chosen being desired and then fulfilling a male fantasy by being good in bed as it were getting a job well done and and she said that lots of them say a sexual satisfying encounter is he got off and it didn't hurt and that's how women usually like yeah it's like well it didn't hurt and he came so that was good and there's just this huge disconnect between being sexy and having enjoyable sex and and actually the more you kind of strive to be sexy and self-objectify it and kind of buy into that, it can actually disconnect you from your body. And and um, when you start looking at, especially as we're writers, and like, so I always look at the stories we tell about sex and the language we use, like so much about the stories we tell about sex are bad, painful sex for girls and women. Um, and things that we're told are sexy or bad, like a very smart friend said to me the other day on one of our government-defined walks about the idea of tightness and how, you know, oh, you're so tight is meant to be hot and women want to be tight. And she's a bit like, 
If you understand how the vagina works when it is aroused, is it grows and it blooms mm. and it develops and makes space and it lubricates. So tight sex means the woman is in pain. Like you shouldn't, if it's tight, that means the man's not done his job properly. <laughs> if you're talking about cishet sex, like, because vaginas untightenify if they're aroused. And so it's like so much about what we're told to be means we're having bad sex. Again, this is themes. I'm not saying you specifically, if <laughs> you know, you're tight as they come and you're having a wonderful time all the time. Like, you know, but like, I just find it fascinating just the stories we tell and what the reality is. And yeah, I just think sexual learners rather than sexual yearners and how learning to be sexually desirable is not the same as desire and what actually feels good. It should be a feeling in your body, not I look hot or maybe combining both. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Are there things that you think we can do or even just questions we can ask ourselves to bring us back to our bodies and start to think about what feels good and find the room, the space to experiment and explore rather than performing and being, how can, how can we be yearners, not learners? Yeah, I think it is about just looking at all the things around us that might be inhibiting actual genuine sexual pleasure and and being more critical of those things um, and knowing that you'll get called a frigid prude. And of course you're going to get a frigid prude because people like, you know, there's people, men mostly, benefiting from these destructive narratives. I find it in terms of like what to do about it, like people talk about the orgasm gap a lot. And I do find it frustrating where it's like, come on, women, you just need to ask for what you want. And, you know, it's sort of just like the pay gap. Yeah, and it's a bit like you... Have you thought about asking for a pay rise? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just like... I, there's a statistic I came across about um, casual sex and how only 18% of women orgasm through having casual sex compared to 95% of men. 
and people are like, come on, we've got to solve this. And I'm like, you're just ignoring all the invisible and visible things that are going on that make it hard for a woman to orgasm. Like you said, a kind of disgust around female wetness. Um, I would argue like a complete disgust around vaginas and the reality of what they look like and how they work as well. Like one of the most popular pieces of journalism I've ever written in my life. <laughs> like, forget my books. Like one of the most popular things I ever wrote was an advice article for this charity, which was called My Vagina Looks Like a Turkey. And so many hits. And we even made a YouTube video with amazing Hannah Witten and she wore a turkey hat. And just like, you know, because you just, you don't, when I went and learned biology at school, when I looked at multiple diagrams of vaginas to learn about the reproductive system, there was never any flaps or excess, you know, or labia, you know, or dangly bits or, you know, you just, it was almost porn star like. The way you see even in medical textbooks in school, you don't see any, you know, dangly bits, which we know that women do because so many girls are Googling my vagina looks like a turkey that that's going to be my lasting literary impression. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's all in private. That's these things are all in private. So, and like the amount of horrible words we have just for the vagina ourselves, just like the awful things I heard at school, like beef curtains, beef flaps, windsock you know and you've got the c word it's just you know minge clunge like these disgusting assonant like visceral words of disgust to describe the human the the female body and then you've got porn and how all vaginas are shaved and they've had surgery to make them look a different way and then these women are having sex that we know would be painful for most women and lots of women are finding when they have sexual encounters and the men now want to choke them or spit on them or hit them and call them a whore and so it's just all this stuff when you're kind of going yes tell men how to get you off i'm like you're ignoring just the vast invisible visible just stuff that's going on that makes women feel just completely unable to say that and i think because they're scared that then that will make them bad in bed as I said, nobody publicly ever says to me, thank you so much for posting a link to the clit test or thank you so much for writing about vaginismus and pretending because I've never read anyone about anything before about somebody who has to use vaginal trainers, which is something that lots of victims of rape have to use, like literally like a kind of Russian doll of dildos to re-stretch your vagina to get it used to having something up there because it's been so traumatised. Because nobody wants to admit that they might just be like almost every other woman secretly in the bedroom. And so it's in terms of how do we mend this? I think it's just being honest and telling more stories um, and finding that liberating and and taking the piss out of some of the ridiculous stuff. Like I love Fleabag. I think Fleabag's absolutely incredible. But like... Again, if you kind of look at the fact that only 18% of women will get through one night stands when she's like, yeah, I had sex nine times. I was like, no, you fucking didn't. Or if you did, like, you should literally just get a medal. You should, like, it's just like that to so many women would be like, oh, she's really cool and everyone's calling this a feminist TV show. And 
but I'm not like that. I could never, that wouldn't be me. This would, I would need this to happen and that to happen and the boy to be doing this and this to work, you know, and oh God, that makes me bad in bed or that makes me sexually awkward. And considering the incredible insight my old job gave me into that, I'm just kind of be like, you probably could come nine times actually if we got rid of all the shit mm. around sex and taught pleasure and respect and love for the vagina. I sound so 70s now, but you know, to worship it, bless it, understand it, want it to be wet, want it to be loose, because that means somebody's having a good time, want the clitoris to be touched because that's what does it for most women. So it's just like challenging all the narratives around it. Um, and that is hard because again, we still want to be hot and we still want to be chosen. And even though I come at this from such a professional point of view, um, I, I still get, I get ridiculed for having these conversations. I'll get ridiculed for this podcast. Like people take the piss out of me and they're like, oh, and they make assumptions about me and my sex life. Some which, things which are completely untrue because I'm daring to say this. Um, and that to me means oh, this, there's a lot of work to be done here. Sorry, that was a massive rant. No, it was brilliant. And thank you. And I just can't tell you how much I salute your courage and how much I salute you saying these important things and you know it makes me very angry that you might be ridiculed I don't want to say anyone who does that will they will have me to answer to I hope I get ridiculed <laughs> too but I think that there is an idea that still sort of lingers a little bit that that nice girls don't seeing a woman pursuing pleasure for the sake of pleasure still feels kind of giddy and radical and it shouldn't in 2021 it shouldn't be shocking at all i don't know it's weird <laughs> some of the, my favorite accidental sex advice came from an old biology teacher i'm sure i've said this before but he said sex it's fun but it's not cool <laughs> <laughs> that is really good advice yeah it's yeah, and it's so hard, as I said, it's so hard to talk about these things without shaming. And, and like, that's the thing, it's, I, I always just want to look at these wider stories being told rather than criticising anyone. Like, girls, women are so criticised anyway, <laughs> especially about sex. So, mm. it's, so it's just like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And kick back against that, disagree with it, but it's just having these conversations. Um, and I don't know, with Fleabag... I also, like, as I said, I criticise it. I also have it on my desk. I read, look at it when I need to know what amazing writing looks like. And I also think it's incredible that you've written a book about chasing pleasure and place. As I said, it's, there's so many of these stories are important to tell, but there is this really telling bit in Fleabag that I loved in the first series. I think she's sitting on a toilet changing a tampon where she talks about sex. I know she was like, how much she loves it and she was like it's the, the chase of it the story of mm. it you know that is it going to happen and she's like and she's like not so much the feeling of it and that kind of as i said was so honest and some, like reflects so much of like what peggy orenstein's book showed and it, like it's it is really interesting and i find the narr like the narratives that women have around sex they're the things that i love the most I think my the best thing I ever saw about sex was when the Harry Met Sally scene where they're talking about sexual fantasies. And Harry is like going on, oh, then we did this position, we did it in that position. And, and Meg Ryan is just like, 
yeah, well, there's just a man and he's sort of there and he's like, and this happens and he's like, but what changes? And she's like, well, what I'm wearing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, I love how so much of women's fantasies are about the storyline and narrative, Mm. the what would I wear, how they remove it. And I remember I wrote a chapter in um, How Do You Like Me Now about a masturbation sequence, basically, that this very sexually frustrated main character I had it was, um, and basically it was really more a fashion show rather than anything to do with sex. And so um, if women aren't reaching orgasm, why, are they, why do they have sex? That's a question that I find really interesting and would love just worthy of exploration, both creatively and in our own lives, really. Definitely. I once wrote a piece for Grazia. It was like an, an acetyl too, and I interviewed a woman who had never had an orgasm and I think she's in her late 30s and she had sex and she she found things that she loved and you know she'd sort of masturbate she'd really put the hours in and done the done the research and invested in the technology and I think felt a range of things that it this idea of it being like a goal as my friend was saying that her boyfriend um sort of before they they got together that you know my friend is like you know she runs and she sort of works out and does classes and goes to the gym and you know just she really likes to keep active but her boyfriend sort of got into it late because he only he played a lot of football when he was a kid and that was it but the idea he's like well why would I play a sport why would I do any exercise if there's not a point where I might win at the end and I think there's something there about sex that I think maybe, hopefully, orgasms are wonderful. I'm a big fan. But maybe that's kind of what whoever you're having sex with, if that's not the goal, if it's just general finding all the different bits of your body that feel good, maybe, maybe we're less likely to put up with things that don't feel good and pleasurable and tender because it's not so goal-focused, I don't know. No, I think there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, obviously I've been talking about sex through a very cis-het lens and what I always find really fascinating and inspirational, (laughs) as it were, but if you look at... um, same-sex couples, so much less of an issue when it comes to orgasm gap because they're away from that that goal-orientated penetrative sex narrative. What we used to call it when I worked at Eve Charity was the death of the fumble. And they were like, it's almost Victorian now in that you go from snogging someone to shagging them. Uh, you know, too penetrative with all the stuff that goes with that. And we're a bit like, what happened to just sort of rubbing up against each other through your clothes for three hours and how good that can feel <laughs> and tentative, you know, it's just like they get it, you know, as I said, like all the bases if you go to America. And so it's like we should see sex as any, tu- you know, yeah. touching. Um, or sex can be kissing. Or mouths or oral. Yeah, it's, it's um, if you just... If it's about mutual, you know, and I think the word mutual and reciprocal <laughs> are important because I think um, you want girls to be being touched much as they are doing the touching. 
but yeah just sort of removing this sort of yeah narrative where it has to be penetrative and all that stuff and yeah it's just like i'm like bring back the fumble <laughs> bring back you know the touching or the, what's the word for when you're shagging with clothes on there's a really funny word for it dry humping <laughs> but it's you know it's like yeah, just it, it should be about pleasure and how something feels rather than performance mm. and how something looks to this imaginary gaze that isn't really there. Like nobody, and, um, and it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, like what you said was so great about Antasia was about bringing it back to the body and how the body feels. And I just think there's so much that could be done into, yeah, what actually feels good. What does pleasure look like? And... And that will be a wet vagina. And that's a great thing. That means somebody's having a really good time. <laughs> like, it, we've got to really fight against that being disgusting. That should be as embraced as, like, a an erect penis should be. Because it means a body is responding and and stuff. So it's, um, but I think the death of the fumble has a lot to be said. <laughs> Oh, well, I think that is a perfect point to, um, <laughs> we have covered all the bases. I hope that people, I've tried to say things without, it, like, tried to make sure it, I've said everything I said without any shaming or kink shaming. It's, as I said, it's so hard to talk about this stuff and I'm not making any judgments about anyone's personal sexual decisions or what gets them off as long as everyone is safe um, and treating each other well, but I hope our, like asking some of these questions is helpful for people to understand their own sexual journeys. Thank you so much for your wisdom and honesty. And I agree with you completely that it's really all about, you know, the breadth of it, just about creating a world and a culture where everyone feels like they have room and that there's somewhere for them to, to be and to explore. And there's no, as you say, that no one feels within reason, you know, as long as everything's sort of consensual and happy that everyone feels safe and no one feels like they're doing it wrong yeah exactly i think we fixed it i think sex is going to be fine now <laughs> yeah sex will be better tomorrow is that the phrase of that? <laughs> thanks so much for listening to daisy is insatiable the podcast is produced by dale shaw for new alaska and hosted by acast with special thanks to sphere my novel, Insatiable, A Love Story for Greedy Girls, is published by Sphere and out now. It's available in hardback from all online bookshops, as well as Amazon, where you can find the ebook and the audiobook read by Charlie Clive. This episode is the last in our series, and I hope you all had as much fun as I did. It's been a heck of a ride. I leave you with this from Julie Cooper. Sex is only the liquid centre of the great Newbury fruit of friendship. Thanks. Goodbye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.